Greetings to the PATH family. Our slogan at the PATH is meeting you where you are. We invite you to follow, share, and check us out on social media. You may connect with us at any time, anywhere. On Facebook at The PATH Church or Instagram and Twitter at Join the PATH. Without further delay, enjoy this week's sermon. With what we're talking about today, to all those who are logging on via YouTube, good morning. Thank you for being a part of our worship service today. And if you live here in Atlanta, come on to the building. We would love to have fellowship with you. Okay, let's go ahead and put that first question up there. That first question, if money was not a factor, if money was not a factor, if you didn't have to worry about money, would you rather island hop, climb a mountain, African safari, shop in Dubai, or just stay at home and read? That's right, Christina, no budget. Unlimited. Money's not a factor. You, okay, so I see we peak. Okay, nobody wants to climb. Okay, one mountain climber. Eight, okay, the safari is coming along. Okay. We got two people wanting to climb a mountain. Okay. All right. Adventure, adventure, adventure. You know, um, Living the life of a disciple should be a life of adventure. If you are bored in your Christian life, there's a problem. There's a problem. So this is going to be an old-fashioned sermon today that we're going to look at scriptures, and we're not going to talk about theory. We're not just going to look at history. We're going to talk about practical application. How you live this thing out. So that's great. We want to have adventure and we want to hop islands. You know, you can look at that next slide there because um, there's a couple in this church. They love adventure. They love adventure. We went to Panama with Derek and Brunia, and I walked out to the beach one day and there they were. I mean, they just living the life, living an adventure. And, you know, that's what it should be like. You can go to our next slide. So what have we been talking about? Everyone, every day, everywhere. Living the Christian life. Everyone. Now this applies to people who say, Jesus is Lord. Once you make that commitment, you say, I want to be in the Lord's church, then there are expectations that Jesus has for everyone. And it's supposed to be lived out every day. And everywhere. Um, The last couple of weeks, we talked about how everyone was inspired. Everyone went. Why? Because they saw the risen Savior. Jesus defeated death. Those 120 believers said, I'm convinced. This is amazing. And every day, they were focused on the mission. And today, we're going to talk about everywhere. You know, we have one life to live. We get one shot at this thing called life. You can go to the next slide. John 10.10. I saw that clock in a pitch, and I said, you know, that's, that's really true. We got a set amount of time. We get one shot at it. And Jesus said, I have come that you may have what type of life? Boring? Depressed? Unhappy? unfulfilled, Jesus said, I come that you could have a full life, an abundant life. 
Are we living an abundant life in Christ? That was God's expectation. Now, I know we say life is hard, life is difficult, it's been tough, it's inflation, it's this, it's that. You know, in the first century church, they had to deal with famines. They had to deal with living under a Roman government that was notorious for corruption. They had to deal with hunger. They had to deal with hardships. They had to deal with all type of things. Their lives were no different than ours. But you know what? They woke up every day and they remembered he got up out the grave. He defeated death. So they were like, we're going to live a passionate life. Because guess what? This world is not our home. The problem is, and if I hurt your feelings, I'm sorry, but we're too comfortable here. We act like we're going to be here forever. Oh, you sound morbid. Everybody's dying. We all have a date. But the question is, how are we going to live? And our early brothers and sisters figured that out. You can go to the next slide. We're going to talk about Peter and John here. Peter and John. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement, at what had happened to him. These people saw a miracle. They were like, wow, something is going on. Something out of the ordinary. Something extraordinary is happening here. Now let's look at what's happening with Peter and John. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. They weren't going to be evangelistic. They were just going to pray. It's like, you know what? That's what we do. We go and pray. And as they were going about their business, somebody interrupted them. How do you feel when your day is interrupted? How is it you are going to do something and you get that phone call? You get that text. Well, these guys were just going to have their time. Our time with God is so sacred. We don't want anybody messing with us when I got to pray. Don't mess with me. Don't talk to me. I need my time with God. Maybe God is setting you up to help that person. Peter and John said, you know what? We're going to pray, but wait a minute. We see a need. We see a need. The man was asking for help. Peter and John said, listen, we don't have money. We got something even better. In the name of Jesus, walk. Walk. And guess what, brothers and sisters? We are all crippled in some form or fashion. Everybody you know is crippled in some form or fashion. That is why we need Jesus. Jesus makes all the difference in our lives. 
How do you feel when you, you know, talk to people about Jesus? How do you feel? You can go to the next slide. How do you feel? When talking to people about Jesus makes me feel, I'm curious about our responses. Amazing. Okay. We got to keep talking then. Joyful, gracious, wonderful, loved, happy, confident, nervous. Ooh, nervous is nervous. Oh, he's getting bigger. Nervous. It's getting bigger and bigger. Come on, you two, weigh in on this. How do you feel? Happy, grateful, vulnerable, exhilarating, a vessel. Oh, I love this church. Oh, gosh, I love our church. We're so honest. Because uh, Minty is anonymous, so nobody knows who said what. But right now, nervous and vulnerable. Well, grateful is coming along. Okay, grateful is fighting. It's struggling, but it's trying to hang in there. <laughs> Come on, grateful. Come on, Ed, go ahead and put grateful so it can get bigger. Come on, Ed. Okay, so what are we going to talk about here? We're going to talk about the Bible's expectation, Jesus' expectation, not the past's expectation. Not, not what my expectation is, not the church expectation, wherever church you may have come from. What we're going to talk about is the Bible's expectation. Because I think sometimes we lose sight of what Jesus and God expect of us. You can go to the next slide. God wants us to be people of conviction. Conviction. That means when we get up in the morning, we do what we do because of our relationship with God. And we don't apologize. We don't make excuses. We're not nervous. We're simply vessels. Somebody put that up there. We're vessels and we're obeying God. And, and really, when you study the Bible and, and you start to understand what it means to have a relationship with God, you're like, you know what? I need to be a man or woman of conviction. Let me tell you this. The world has deep conviction. Man, people come on the job and they talk about the strip clubs they went to. There's a guy came out here and did work at the church building and invited Roland and I to a strip club. He was bold. And we were like, oh, we're so intimidated. We know we're at the church, but we can't talk about Jesus. Roland said, well, you need to just come on to church. I'm like, come on, Alexander. That's how you do it. But the world talks about everything. And they are bold about sin. And Christians are like, well, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to talk about my religion because two things in life you don't talk about is religion and politics. You know, I don't want, I don't want to make any waves. What did our early brothers and sisters do? Did they make waves? Were they nervous? It didn't control them. There is something that resides in a disciple that's called the Holy Spirit. For those of us who are following Jesus, it's not us. It's not this. It's not this brain. It's not this mouth. It's what God is doing to use us. We're doing God's work, God's will. Okay, so 
we're talking about these disciples every day. Everyone. I want to make a disclaimer right now before I go to this next section. You may say, well, brother, that was your experience. I have a different type of relationship with God. That's all right. You may say, brother, that's your ministry. I have a different type of ministry. If you are following biblical doctrine, it has something to do with everybody doing it every day, everywhere. No matter what iteration of church, we go through many different phases of church. But it always boils down to what our brother was talking about. It's got to include everybody, every day. You know, I thought of this little quote. Do you attend church or live church? You like that one, Missy? Yeah, I thought that one up. Do you attend church or do you live church? For many of us, we attend. We attend. And, and, and I'm going to break that down because I don't want any confusion for today. We attend church, and we don't understand, no, I am the church. Th this right here, as a brother said years ago, this is a pep rally. We come in here to get our marching orders. The church is out there. Soon as you leave out the door, you are the church. I am the church. I didn't understand that. I grew up very religious in the South. I didn't understand that. I went to church on Sunday morning, occasionally Sunday evening, never during the week, never read my Bible. And I was empty. I was miserable. I was religious, sung in the choir. I was miserable. And it got to a point, I'm like, you know what, God? I don't get it. I don't get this Sunday thing. I don't get this Christian thing. Because we just do it once a week for a few hours, and that's it. So I got to the point, I'm saying, I'm giving up. I got other things to do on Sunday morning. See, number one, I was out late Saturday night at the club, and I really didn't want to get up Sunday morning anyway. So if I didn't have a reason, if I could just stay in a little bit later and sleep in on Sunday morning, no matter where I had spent the night, that's okay. But, you know, sometimes you have those thoughts in your mind, and God says, I got something else. You know, about 40 years ago, God led me to a group of people who taught me the Bible, taught me scriptures. We actually met, we studied the scriptures, we talked about what it meant to live the Christian life. And I was like, wow, I did not know that was in the Bible. Now, I called myself a Christian. I went to church just about every Sunday, but I, did not, I had never seen those scriptures before. And then the goal wasn't just baptism, because I know now we have people who are visiting and, and placing membership. Now everybody say, I got baptized, I got baptized, I got baptized. Baptism is the first step of discipleship. And 40 years ago, nobody's talking about discipleship. It was not in the religious circles at all. Years ago, you came up, you said the sinner's prayer, you shook the preacher's hand, and you lived your life, and you got saved, and you went to the altar. I went to that altar so many times, it didn't stick. Now, I don't know about you, but it didn't stick. 
But then I, I, I started learning that, you know what, you got to live this out on a daily basis. And, and I'm so grateful that God sent me a group of guys who taught me the Bible, who taught me the mission mindset, who taught me the goal is to get up every morning and live like Jesus, to make a difference, to have purpose, to go on an adventure. Now, in my nature, I'm not that guy. In my uh, purpose, taking care of people? For what? Take care of yourself. I mean, that's just who I am. Without Jesus, I'm not that guy getting, oh, let's go and save the whales. I ain't thinking about a whale. <laughs> let's go and feed homeless. No, I ain't doing that. No. That is who I am without Jesus. Oh, but you're a preacher. I wasn't born a preacher. I didn't want to be a preacher. That wasn't at Florida State. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to preach the word. No. I'm a history major. I was going to be an educator. The goal was to get my degree, teach at a college, live in South Florida across from the beach. That was my life aspiration and goal. South Florida, Fort Lauderdale, somewhere. Wow, man, that's what I was looking forward to. But there's something that takes place when we have a relationship with God and we start reading that Bible and we develop conviction. And, and we got to understand, we can't let our person say, brother, I don't have the personality for the being like Jesus. Listen, you don't have to get up every morning and spend at least 45 minutes to an hour to set my mind. Now, my wife is different. She jumps up. Let's go. Let's go. What we got? Let's do this. Woo! Life is amazing. I get up. I grab a cup of coffee. I'm like, it's another day. I need about 45 minutes because I had to deal with people. Oh, Lord. Now, throughout the years... I've grown and I'm changed, but I think sometimes we think once we become a Christian, that's it. We got to keep growing. We got to keep changing because we got to grow in our conviction. So after reading the Bible, I say, oh, oh, now it's not just what you do on Sundays. It's how you live. Oh, so you know what I started doing? I started telling my friends about Jesus. I started telling my family about Jesus. I even got to a place I was going through the dorms. Bible study. Time for Bible study. I never would have done that. But because of my relationship with Jesus. And guess what? At Florida State, people came out to Bible study. We used to have Bible study meetings in dorms. Guys we didn't know, girls we didn't, actually came out to Bible study. Knocking on the door one day, met this guy, 17-year-old dude from Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Timmy. And I say, Timmy? You want to follow Jesus? What? Come to Bibles. And for some reason, he came. And he studied the Bible. And you know him today as Dr. Timothy Jones at Best Academy. Amen. When I met him, he was just lost Timmy. <laughs> but he responded to the gospel. And I'm grateful the Holy Spirit worked in my life. The Holy Spirit wants to work in your life. 
the spirit loves to preach. And you know what we tell the spirit? Be quiet. Shh. Spirit's trying to go, no, not today. Spirit loves to preach, brothers and sisters. We got to let the spirit do what the spirit does. Now, I'm going to be very vulnerable with you. If, if you. if you don't know me, I'm not the type of guy that is easily convinced of things. Even when God is working on me, I have to wrestle. I'm, I'm, I'm just wired that way. That's why some of y'all can relate to you because, you know, ain't that right, last? It just, it, just, it just don't come easy. It just don't come easy. And we want to intellectualize and strategize and excuse eyes. And, and we just come up with all these ways to get around what we know we're going to do. We know we're going to do it. So, 85, become a disciple. That same, about 86, had a great aunt that passed away in New York. My mother said, hey, let's go up to New York. I said, okay, we'll fly to New York. Sounds good. Had just become a disciple. Went to New York City. Land, left Jacksonville, was 80 degrees. Landed in New York. Well, we went to Newark. It was like 30 degrees. I'm like, okay. Went across that bridge, went to Harlem. I had never seen so much trash on the street. I'm like, these people did, whoop. It was cold, it was dirty. I'm like, what's going on here? And I always thought snow was white. <laughs> and stayed white. I saw brown snow, black snow, yellow snow. I'm like, what in the world? What are these people doing up here? Man, I got back on that plane. Brothers picked us up in Jacksonville. I said, guys, I will never live in that place. It is cold. It's dirty. I ain't going there. Late 1988, guess where I was? In the Bronx. I was in the Bronx in late 1988. Why? God. One thing, young Christian, don't say never. Older Christians can tell you that. Do you say never? Because the thing you say, I'll never do, God say, really? You think you control your life? No. So then, you know, a group of friends of us, we relocated to New York City. Back in the late 80s, life was hard. I'm from Tallahassee, Florida. I like comfort. I like riding my car. I like clean streets. Easy parking, warm weather. I love comfort. It was hard in New York City. It was cold. Everything that is happening in America now was happening 30 years ago in New York City. Racism, we had the crack epidemic, the LGBT community, the days it was called the gay movement, inflation, you couldn't afford to live by yourself, you had to have a roommate. We even had Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump. We had all that 30 years ago in New York City. So now what everybody, ah, ah, what's going on? I'm like, guys, we had that 30 years ago in New York City. But you know what we were taught as Christians? Because a lot of us young Christians, it's about the gospel. It wasn't about social issues and who's getting elected and what's happening. And it was about the gospel. We were taught, you know what? Make a difference. Just be a light. See, the goal wasn't just for the ministers to do it. Because when I moved up, I wasn't in the ministry. I was a member. But I was a disciple. 
That's it. I had, the only title I had was disciple. That was it. In the church, a couple of thousand people, and uh, ended up in the Bronx. Went to a service there in the Bronx. Saw this young lady checking me out in the corner, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> it, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that young lady. It was another young lady. <laughs> Listen. The ratio in the New York City church at that time, it was probably like seven to one. So everybody, all the guys, it ain't no big thing, everybody. But I saw this young lady, and what impressed me so much about her was her passion. Love for God. Love for people. Just zealous. Zealous. And I fell in love. I fell in love. Brothers, when you fall in love, choose wisely. I didn't get many amens on that, but. <laughs> Married guys, help them out. When you fall in love, choose wisely. Amen. Help them out. This life is too hard to end up with the wrong person. It's too hard. Life is too short. To be miserable. Are you going to read your Bible? I ain't read no Bible. No, no, no. <laughs> she was about the mission. She was so much about the mission, she was doing team ministry. And um, we, we were talking at the time, and then they would say, they were like, hey, Mike, you want to go do team ministry? No. <laughs> hey, we could use your help. I don't work with teenagers. I work with college students. I don't, teenagers, I never worked with teenagers before. Never say, I ended up working in the team ministry. Ended up working in the team ministry. And I, I, what's that next slide up there? Yeah, September 15th, 1990. So we're getting ready to celebrate 33 years together. 33, September 15th. And my next picture there, that dude was in my wedding, Marcos Mercado. Yes, that is him. That is him. Marcos Mercado. So, so uh, my first assignment working with teenagers, I didn't know what I was doing. And I asked the brother who was training me at the time, Sam, I said, listen, Sam, I don't know what to do with teenagers. He said, this is what you do. Teach them to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. You're not just going there to play games with them and buy them lunch. You teach them to love God. And I said, okay, that's what I do. So I started working with Marcos. Marcos was 16 years old. I met him at a, a Bible study. Somebody else was studying the Bible with him, and then we started building a friendship, and he got baptized, and Marco said, you know what? I'm in. I said, okay. I don't know what to do. Let's figure it out. <laughs> and uh, what he started doing was bringing his buddies from St. Raymond's High School. I studied the Bible with so many of them little Catholic dudes. He kept bringing them and bringing them and bringing them and bringing them. And it's like, you get it. You get it, at 16. I didn't have to call him up, please share your faith today. Please read your Bible today. Please come to church. I, didn't, I never, In the 
many years I've known him, we've never had those conversations. It was always about, this is my conviction, brother. And he preached and preached and been preaching for over 30 years. And he did that before going into the ministry. He was a disciple. And to this day, there are guys that he studied the Bible with, that we studied the Bible with, who are still faithful. 30 years later. But that's what happens when you go everywhere. I had no idea what was happening in the South Bronx, getting on the D train, the 4 train. I was so confused. I said, I'm trying to get over here. They say, well, take the uptown bus. What is uptown? <laughs> take, the, take the downtown bus. I'm standing there like, can somebody help me out? I'm just confused. But you know what? God worked through it all. So then after my wife and I, and like I said, you got to figure out how this is going to apply to your life everywhere, okay? This is what we did. So then God worked in our lives, and uh, we got an opportunity to do the ministry in a place called Harlem. So there we are. What's wrong, Keegan? You seem surprised. Do I look that different? I still got the microphone, boys. So there we are in Harlem, our first full-time ministry. You know, my wife looks the same, still beautiful, just looks the same, looks the same. So, okay, guys, y'all going to go and leave Harlem? And we're like, okay. Now, this was not the gentrified Harlem that y'all know of today. In the late 80s, the um, urban areas were filled with crack. Burned out buildings, abandoned buildings, I mean... But, you know, we were excited. Hey, we're going to go and, and work in Harlem. And I'll be honest with you, it was spiritually brutal. It was brutal. I'm, I was 20, I think 26, 27 when we started that job. And I, it was so intense. There was, um, we had an older gentleman in our ministry, Mr. George. He was probably in his 60s. And um, I'm supposed to be leading this ministry. He's, he's there with us. Uh, one day at church, he pulls me aside and said, brother, I had a rough day. I said, what happened? I had to walk up five floors in a building. Now, he had very arthritic knees, didn't have an elevator, to identify my youngest daughter with a crack pipe in her mouth. She had died. What am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do with that? But that wasn't the only story. That was one of many, many, many stories. And it was like, this is impossible. How, how are we going to do this job? So then I told my wife, I said, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this. this is, I mean, we would, Marcos and I were talking about it yesterday. There were so many situations. It was so beyond our understanding and we talked to the people that had sent us there, you know, the couple that had trained us. And they were really good, you know. And I remember his wife, Cynthia, said something that was very profound. She said, I know it's hard. And you, if you want to let it go, it's understandable because it's a very difficult job. But why don't you do this? Why don't you just do the best that you can do? Whomever you can help, just do the best that you can do. It was like a weight just dropped off. It's like... Well, I really want to quit and call it a day, but I'll give it one more shot. 
Let me tell you, if whenever you decide that you're going to make it about God, God does things. You can put up that next slide. All these people started showing up. Beverly was there. Madronos were there. All these people just started showing up all the time coming to church. And it was, it was the same people. Only thing we said is we just do the best we could do. Because it wasn't about us. It was about God and what God wanted to do. And what we did is that we just didn't celebrate a crowd. We taught everybody, be a disciple everywhere you go. And as um, Acts 5.42 says, day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching, proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. What I love about New Yorkers, I loved it. You met them, I would share my faith, and they would let me know, get the blah, 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 out my face and be okay. <laughs> you are not coming to church, it's evident. Move on to the next person. But then, when you would meet somebody who was open, they got it. And New Yorkers are resilient, they're passionate. They don't want to waste time. They, they, you know, and we started building something, and it started growing and growing. So we, we lived on, on 238th Street in Harlem, and we had this brownstone. So um, one day I was downtown in Manhattan. You know, saw a guy out there working, started sharing my faith with him. He said he walked, worked with the water company in New York City. I said, oh, that's cool, you know. Well, if you're ever in, in, up in Harlem, come to church with us. Not long after that, I saw him on my block. I said, wait a minute, I saw you on 60th Street. What you doing up here? He said, man, in this neighborhood, there is a large consumption of water, and we can't figure it out. I said, really? Good luck on that. <laughs> it was our basement. We had the baptistry. So not only Harlem people getting baptized, Manhattan people getting baptized. We were baptizing so many people. And I don't really tell these stories out because I say people ain't going to believe it. But you put up the next slide. This is where we started meeting for church. That's where we met for church. And, and, and there were times the brothers said we had to turn people away. We had to turn people away. It was no more room. But it wasn't us. We taught people be a disciple everywhere you go. And people just started talking about God. So then we were reassigned to the Bronx, went back to the Bronx. Marcos eventually came with us, and we started building a ministry in the Bronx. He said, hey, just do what you know to do. Started building a ministry in the Bronx. And then a young lady named Amaryllis joined us. Amaryllis came on up. That woman studied the Bible with so, so many people in English and in Spanish. You know what, what I love about, you put up the next slide, what I appreciate about disciples, we understand we don't code switch. Do you know what I mean by code switching? For the older ones. Code switching is I speak this way with this group of people, but with the people over here, I speak a certain way. So really, it's living a double life. It's code switching. I, I, will, I will fit into the group that I fit into versus, you know what? 
I'm consistent. And so many people were consistent. The church started growing and growing and growing. And more people started coming. And more people's lives were transformed. You go to the next slide because we're going to go ahead and wrap it up in a second. And that's just a, a collage I found in our garage of when we left. But let me tell you something. If you stay in this fight long enough, there's going to be drama. Any older Christians in here? There's going to be problems. There are going to be challenges. We went through our church drama. It was not fun. It did not feel good. In retrospect, <clears throat> when you're a young minister, you really need elders for spiritual guidance. The church needs elders, and we're going to talk about that in our, our congregational meeting. And, you know, during that time period, about 2000, late 2003, we relocated. We came back to Florida. Church drama, I said, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this preacher thing. I could go. I went to grad school and said, I'm going to teach. That's what I want to do anyway. I never wanted to be a preacher. I'm just going to go get a job and teach. So then I'm there in Tallahassee, you know, back at Florida State, full circle. And one thing was I couldn't type. And I had to start doing papers for grad school. So I'm in fellowship one day. And this young Latin dude comes up to me, wearing a white tee, Timberlands, looking at me like, I dare you to talk to me. I'm like, boy, I'm from the Bronx. What's going on? And we started chatting and started hanging out. And I said, listen, can you type? He said, yeah, I'm really good. I said, okay. So I would write papers and take them to him. And he would start typing. Then one day, he was typing his paper, and we just started chatting. And he started talking about his dreams, how he wants to change the world. And he had just become a Christian, and he was excited about helping people. I went, oh, gosh. <laughs> he said, will you train me? I'm like, no. <laughs> will you come to my Bible study? You know, come, come and be a guest speaker. Guest speaker at his Bible study in the Players Club. That was the apartment complex. That apartment complex, brother. So I went. The first week, people came. Next week, more people came. I'm like, oh, Lord, here we go again. And he said, okay. God opened the door. Sean and I relocated up here. Angel and Christina said, we're in. We're in. Whatever you want to do, we are in. I said, okay. So what they were doing, they were working full-time jobs. She was working Bank of America. He was working a TV station. I would go on campus and teach during the day. Angel and Christina would come in the evenings. And they started preaching the word. They weren't full-time in ministry. They had full-time jobs, preaching the word. They would get up early, do their jobs, evening after evening after evening. And I can honestly say, brother, you have been a joy. You've been a joy. Never had the angel, please be like Jesus. Please share your faith. Please read your Bible. You had your own conviction. And we started seeing a ministry grow. 
first guy who Angel and I converted together was a guy named Chase Nance. Worse than Cameron. What's that next picture? I, I know we added a picture. Yep, that was our brothers graduating. Brothers who were graduating. Boy, we were so young in those days, Martin Otto. Ooh, that was 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Ray Edwards came along. Jordan came along. Eventually, something drifted over to Georgia State. Jazz Taylor, they came along. Quay came along. All these people just started coming. Daphne came along. All these people just started coming. It started happening all over again. More and more people started coming. But, you know, whenever... Um, you start having victories like that, it's only a matter of time to, before the devil gets mad. Satan gets upset. So you know it says in Acts 4, you can read that because I, I, I know I don't want to go too long. It talks about how they were preaching in the temple courts and the religious folks got mad at them and started persecuting them. And you know, but anyway, they kept preaching. So we were preaching in the AUC and, and Ray was sharing his faith and he met this little dude Little skinny guy with glasses, freshman, and this little dude got invited to church. So he came to church and had his own conviction, got baptized. This dude started preaching and preaching and preaching, converting more scientists. They were all science guys, just preaching. He was preaching so much, he got in trouble with the dean. Dean was like, you know what, you need to stop that church thing or you may get kicked out of Morehouse. He and I had a talk, brother, what you want to do? He kept preaching. And he kept preaching. Then he graduated, went on to med school, got married. But his counterpart over at Georgia State, she was doing the same thing. They were not in the ministry, preaching and preaching and preaching. Then eventually the Jacksons came up here. They started a ministry mosaic. None of these folks are full-time. They're disciples. And the ministry just grew and grew and grew and grew. Why, why do I say that? Because, you know, Rick is a disciple. Daphne is a disciple. Ed and Todd, they're disciples. When you get disciples preaching the word of God everywhere, the church continues to grow. Everywhere. Everywhere, whatever it looks like for you, you got to sow seeds everywhere you go. And let me tell you, controversy's coming. Hardships are coming. I have said numerous times, I don't want to do this. But Jesus is Lord. I want comfort. But Jesus is Lord. I want convenience. I don't want to be bothered. Because people get messy. We are messy. I don't want to do this. But Jesus is Lord. So what disciples do everywhere we go. And you know what's beautiful about living in a city like Atlanta? You know, Atlanta's filled up with dreamers. People move here for a dream. People move here for entertainment. People move here for school. People move here to start over. People move here to raise their families. This is the best city to preach the word. 
Because people are looking for something. And what they think they're looking for is not what they really need. God has them here to find him. Are you on an adventure? Are you on an adventure? Are you living your life to bring glory to God? You know, if you have been a faithful 20 years or more, raise your hands. Let's encourage these folks, man. They've been in the battle. Continue to set the example. You got to set the example. Pray. But now I give you a new charge. Train those behind you. Because that's how the gospel keeps moving. Where are my 20 and 30-year-olds? 20 and 30-year-olds. Do you know you have nothing but time, time, time? Oh, I'm busy. You're too busy then. Too busy. You got time. You got opportunity to help people to know God. And if you look at your schedule and you don't have time to do God's work, you got to change your schedule. Well, brother, I don't agree. Trust me, I know. I get it, but everywhere, as we take communion right now, I want to leave us with this scripture, and I read it this morning as I was praying, because I think sometimes we feel like, if I really go all out for God, what about me? Anybody ever feel that way? If I really sacrifice, what about me? Am I going to get what I need? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's the promise that God gives us. That the labor in the Lord is not in vain. We may not reap the benefits right now of some of the things we want to have but let me tell you spiritually the labor is not in vain let's pray father and god we come before you right now and god we're just thankful we're thankful that you are in control we're thankful god that you have given us a plan god you have called each of us to go and be on an adventure everywhere wherever we set our feet god to let people know about your son and what an incredible opportunity we have to share in this mission. God, I pray, I pray as we take communion and we reflect on Jesus that we remember he was about the mission and that we have signed up to follow him. Thank you so much, God, for the bread that represents the body that was broken, God, the fruit of the vine that represents the blood that was shed. And we ask these prayers in your son's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. New sermons are uploaded each Monday morning. Simply search The Path Church Atlanta in iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting service. Additionally, we greatly appreciate your feedback on iTunes. If you would like to learn more about The Path, we encourage you to visit www.thepath.church. We hope to fellowship with you soon.